Hi everyone, and a warm welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, transformational change, and of course, tech as a force for good. I'm your host, Professor Sally Eves, and today we're exploring the how of creating shared value impact that scales. I believe we can make the fastest progress addressing the world's most urgent sustainability issues when ESG value and business value are aligned with technology leadership and impact measurement, both critical enablers. So in this special, we explore exactly this with IBM and two superb guests, Christina Shim, VP and Global Head of Product IBM Sustainability Software, and Nada Santiago, Principal Product Manager, Linux One Hardware Solutions. So let's dive straight into our conversation. Fantastic. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Christina and Nada. Brilliant to have you both here. Thank you so much for having us. Excited to be here. Fantastic. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. Um, I think maybe the best way to start the show today, I always have this expression, kind of the person behind the tech, if you will. So perhaps starting with you, Christina, can you share a little bit more about your personal journey to your current role? Maybe like a little nugget or a moment that mattered along the way. And then Nada as well. I'm sure it inspire a lot of our listeners and viewers today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So thanks again for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, you know, my journey has always has always been around impact. Right. And I've always wanted to make sure that what I was doing had a larger impact than just me and my you know, local community. And so everything that I've done in my career has really focused on that. It's primarily been at the intersection of business, technology and impact. And I did it over the course of many years from strategy consulting uh, through many geographies, working at, across many of the larger management consulting companies. I worked for the U.S. government for a few years, uh, focusing on community development, et cetera, and then increasingly worked my way through uh, focusing more and more on how technology can support and provide more impact. And last year, joined IBM. I was trying to think back how long it's been. So last year, I joined IBM. Um, I joined as the, uh, the head of strategy and business development for our sustainability software business. And there's been just so much evolution in how we're thinking about our software, how we can make a difference. And it was really compelling value proposition for me to join the team and, and be able to provide my experience and expertise in that in that area. Um, and then as of January this year, as you mentioned earlier, took on the head of product role as well. And so really able to shape how we think about our portfolio and all the products that we have, um, not just within our PNL, but across all of IBM and working closely with colleagues like Nada and others to make sure that we are making the most impact and having the most scalable effect on sustainability and ESG goals that we can because uh, you know technology is the only way we're going to be able to get to the the goal that we need to achieve um, to accelerate everyone's journeys and so I'm excited for where I am and where we're going and I'm really excited to talk to you about it more today. Love it. Thank you so much. I couldn't agree more about so much of that. And what you said there about that driver to join an organization based on that commitment, we're seeing that so much more as a really tangible example of that brilliant stuff. Nada, over to you. I'd love to hear more about your journey too. Well, thank you very much, Sally. So um, I started my career at, at IBM many, many years ago uh, as a firmware engineer, firmware developer. After working on a few projects there, I wanted to get closer to customers. So I moved into product engineering, which is basically the it's it's the team that handles customers uh, when a customer has a problem. That's who they, that's the team they call into. After that, I went into management, and then that's when I finally landed in the product management world. So I definitely learned a lot about myself in every role that I had at IBM, and I feel that every position really prepared me perfectly for the next one. 
And there were, based to go to go back to the question that you have, or was that that one moment that mattered? I think there are so many moments and people who shaped who I am as a professional today. But if I were to be fair, I think I have to go back to the beginning. So um, I'm originally from Lebanon, born and raised there. I went to college there. I even started my career there as a developer. But then one day I got an email from IBM saying I got a job here and I just packed my whole life in two suitcases and I moved across the world. So it was definitely very scary. It was very new. My English was basic at best. So, um, but I knew that if I did not make that move, I was going to regret it for the rest of my life. And I know that my life and my career would not be what they are today if I hadn't taken that leap of faith 16 years ago. So, and here I am today. I love that. I'm so glad I asked that question. It's those little nuggets that make the difference. I, I do a lot of mentoring and a phrase I have is click to commit. And that's because I've seen so many people, you, you know, at the moment we've got, which is great to see, and, you know, democratization really in many ways about more access to kind of skills opportunity, you know, whether that's cloud or AI learning, a lot of the barriers have been taken down. But I've spoken to a lot of kids, um, particularly who are kind of going through like looking at new choices and things at the moment. And they're sometimes afraid that I haven't got a background in, you know, X, Y, or Z. Can I go for that will I be accepted can I do it and that confidence to kind of press that button and go for that opportunity hearing that story there you took it you took that risk you literally like walked across the world so to speak to actually take that it's so empowering to show you know the power of making that choice so brilliant I love that example thank you both very very much and I think now let's go let's go right into the heart of our discussion today and it really is kind of the heart of tech I think at the moment and I'm so pleased to see that we're moving forward to not just greater transparency around ESG and particularly sustainability but greater commitment and accountability around these themes as well. And we've had so much change, haven't we? So many different vectors of change happening that really are impacting this space right now. I'd love to hear from both of you really, kind of to set the scene, what are you seeing as a leading kind of change catalyst right now? And what transformation are you seeing result from exactly that? Perhaps Christina first. Sure. Look, the world is changing at an unprecedented rate as it relates to this topic, right? I think everybody's becoming more and more aware of the issues of climate change and, and, and social unrest and all of these things that we're just inundated by in the news all the time. I think it's interesting because, you know, I've been in the impact space for a long time, whether or not you want to call it sustainability or not, the vernacular keeps changing, the topics do not. And I would say that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people were talking about impact and companies as uh, just like a nice to have, you know? And increasingly, it became something that, that businesses started feeling pressure about because customers were starting to demand it. I want to make sure that the coffee that I'm getting is from a you know fair trade company, that they're treating their coffee farmers act, uh, well, and that we're paying accurate prices for it, et cetera. I want to make sure that the clothes that I'm wearing are also from a transparent and traceable supply chain, right? These are very tangible examples that consumers were starting to demand more answers and transparency around. Uh, even five, 10 years ago, you know, move, fast forward to today, it's increasingly now something that's part of investor dialogue, uh, risk dialogue, regulatory discourse. And I think a lot of the regulations that are coming in and accelerating in the EU and the US, as, as well as elsewhere around the world is really um, making it an imperative for companies to start thinking about. And as it relates to then how they have committed certain um, let's say net zero goals or ESG goals or whatever it is that you want to call it, uh, the question is, what do we do about it now? So I think all of these different vectors have come together, right? The people, the communities, the regulator, the investors, I mean, all of these different ecosystem partners are now pressing upon more and more pressure 
Um, and I think the stakeholders all around are starting to expect a lot more and it's going to be more and more required going forward. So that's where I think the world has shifted a lot in the last five years, uh, only continues to do more in that move more in that direction going forward. And so companies are having to adapt and we're all having to adapt. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think that that's where the world needs to go. Uh, and so I think that that's why, you know, part of why Nada and I are doing what we're doing, I think is is helping to address some of that in a really tangible way. Yeah, I, I think Christina really nailed it uh, with with the shift in the in the mentality. We are seeing this with a lot of our customers. I mean, she talked about the the new regulation in the in the EU. Their customers are being told um, we're not going to deliver power to your to your data centers between the the hours of you know eight and twelve, or having to shut down power to certain regions in in Europe because the grid cannot literally handle the the, the growth that we are seeing right now. So customers right. are faced with a choice of either they they reduce what they have today, or they have to build another data center to keep growing because. The amount of data that is out there right now has grown just tremendously and being sustainable cannot come at the cost of growing. Customers right now are having to make a choice of do I grow and do I modernize and do I transform or do I meet my ESG goals and then and then stop. What we offer with, with Linux One is sustainability without compromise. They can still grow, they can still scale, they can still um, be sustainable without having to compromise on scale performance or, or security. Absolutely. I'll add one thing to that. Sorry, I'll add one thing to that, which is I also think that there's a lot of element of like unexpectedness, right? So things that are things that are unpredictable that are happening in the world, the geopolitics. We talked, I mean, Nada was just talking about all the issues around energy and the energy grid and how people are having to manage that. A lot of that has been um, catapulted and accelerated because of the, the war with Ukraine, right? All of this is, there are things that we cannot necessarily control, but there are things that we can. And what we can control is how do we think about uh, the day-to-day the -day business of what we what we do and how we operate and how do we make sure that we're doing that in the most you know corporate responsible way and in the most efficient way and the most effective way so that we're optimizing our people and our operations and our, our communities. So I think that that's, there are things that you can control and things that you can't control. And so we're trying to help kind of navigate in that in that landscape. So I think it's a really interesting point. I also think in in that kind of bucket, if, if you will, of things that you can't control, like WEF, as recently as last week, we're talking about this, about the interrelatedness of these different types of, of, of challenges. And they're kind of like a polycrisis in many ways, geopolitical, but also around climate action, around education and connectivity, so many different areas. But it's those interrelationships, a bit like the Sustainable Development Goals more broadly, one affects the other. And I think they're seeing that more and more. And your other points about kind of the resonance around all things at ESG. Gay, I couldn't agree. What I'm seeing is a better kind of literacy around this area, a bit like we saw you know, in COVID times with really understanding kind of being driven by the data or by the curve. More and more people were kind of getting behind those stats and being more informed and asking better questions. We're seeing that here with ESG too. People want to see better consistency, you know, across reporting. They don't want to just have, let's say, a one yearly report, want more regular benchmarking, make it easier to compare one organisation vis-a-vis another in a particular sector and open sharing around this as well. It's a great area to really come together and collaborate on, a bit like we did with things like the HBT Consortium and health innovation during COVID. I think we've kind of set the mark there of what we can do by coming together as an ecosystem. So that really excites me. But also yeah. the fact that it's not just talking about it and it's not just changing expectations about it, you know, whether it's a consumer or an employee or an ecosystem partner, as you were talking about, but it's actually leading to action now as well. We're seeing behavioral change 
So like in the in the past, you know, if you're looking in an organization, what's first on your list? It might be uh, customer experience. It might be your satisfaction. It might be the functionality. It might be the aesthetics of what you're looking at. Now, value alignment is right up there as equal in terms of its importance as a driver to I want to work with or I want to advocate or I want to buy from a particular organization or work for too. We're starting to right. see real movement there. And that excites me because it shows that this is a trajectory, you know, with, with real meaning that's leading from talk to action. So yeah, really exciting. I was going to go off on a monologue on that one, but it's, it's great, to, great to see these vectors of change coming together. There are challenges underneath all of this obviously but we're also seeing really positive signs of change and of coming together around this so that's great so let's dive into some of these kind of challenges and opportunities again in a little bit more detail and focus really as i was just saying on the how addressing some of these needs so what i'd love to explore now is kind of looking at the conversations you're having and what you're being asked for from your customers but also employees and, and partners in the ecosystem too what are they seeking more of and i know we've introduced that a little bit already but perhaps we can dive into some details and perhaps bring it to life with an example too so Nada, perhaps we could we start with you on that one. And I know you spoke earlier about Citibank. That could be a great one. Sure. Yeah. So if anybody had seen the uh, the announcement that we did in September when we launched the, the, the latest generation of Linux One, the Linux One Emperor 4, we highlighted a few of our customers and some of the use case that they have out there where the, and the reasons why they picked Linux One to address the sustainability challenges that they have. So talking about City specifically, they were one of our big, the big customers that we highlighted in our launch. They came to us with a very specific uh, business challenge. I mean, City is a worldwide company. I think everybody, everyone in the world knows who City is. They have data centers all over the world. And like I mentioned in my previous question, they, they are growing. And uh, like every every big company out there, they are growing. The amount of data that they handle is huge especially after the pandemic, when everything went online, everybody had to work from home, they had to handle that, that huge increase of data. And like many of uh, other of our customers, they started to run out of space. They were they had servers sprawl, and they, they just couldn't handle the, uh, the amount of servers they had in their data centers. They uh, just also managing the complexity of managing a data center that is that big became, became a, a challenge as well. So by moving their workload to Linux One, not only did they reduce their energy consumption and save on data center floor space, which was their main challenge, they also ended up with a solution that was much more resilient, much more secure, and they also saw a performance increase of 15%. And these are numbers that Citi calculated. This is not IBM saying, if you do this, you're going to see a, an increase of 15%. These, these were Citi's benchmarks where looking at their throughput, they saw those, those increases. So this goes to show that this goes back to my sustainability without compromise. They were able to reach, they, it got them a lot closer to their goals. And on top of that, now they have a lot more room to grow, they can scale, and they have a much more secure and resilient solution as well. So yeah, so if I could just add on to what Nada was saying, we're also seeing the same thing across all of our customers on the software side as it relates to operationalizing sustainability and the challenges of data, right? Data, it's we're talking about hundreds of different data sources to be able to make sense of where you are in terms of a baseline for your business and where you need to then take action to get to where you committed to for your business. And so we're talking about, you know, energy meters, we're talking about ERP systems, we're talking about what's happening with your civil infrastructure, what's happening with your data centers, what's happening in your supply chain. These are all different, usually different systems where data is coming out. And to be very honest, most of our clients and most of the conversations we have, Fortune 10, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies, doesn't matter. 
still using spreadsheets to manage their data. You can imagine how challenging that is when you have regulations coming out saying you have to report on XYZ and you're trying to make sense of everything happening in your enterprise from spreadsheets. So what we are doing is, you know, we acquired Invisi last year. We're integrating that with all of our other kind of powerhouse uh, software products around uh, Maximo, which supports like optimizing of asset management, physical assets, uh, Turbonomic, which supports around data centers and efficiency, our supply chain intelligence suite, which is around, you know, supply chain and transparency and traceability in your supply chain, Tririgo, which is around managing your real estate. And all of this is to say, you know, that real-time data and process flow is critical because if data is the challenge and you're able to put it into one place, which for us is the Invisi platform as a single system of record, you're able to pull from all the other areas that are the core of your business operations, make sense of it, and then action on it, right? Because then you can actually say, okay, now I see the entire view and now I can dive into whatever part of the business I need to be making changes to. The data piece is, you know, this is what most of our customers um, are really, really challenged with. And I would say that doesn't even matter what industry, it's across the board. I'm seeing exactly the same. I think, you know, in terms of key challenges that are coming up, it's around the integration piece, I would say, it's yeah. around visibility. Um, and it's also about reducing complexity and duplication. So it's kind of going from that data volume um, to data value, isn't it? It really right. is that enablement piece. It's absolutely huge. And I think particularly when it comes to ESG metrics, sometimes they've been a little bit siloed and getting that embedded. So, you know, around the dashboarding, et cetera, as well, bringing these aspects together, I think is absolutely essential when we talk about the embedding of this as part of everyday organizational life too. So I think that's huge. And also what you were saying there as well, I think it really leads into the recent study as well by the Institute of Business Value. So the CEO impact study. And you have, I know you were very, very deeply involved in that. And it was again, showing that it was unclear return on investment and also challenges around determining economic benefits that were really a leading issue in terms of getting that buy-in. So great points there, I think, in terms of what the biggest challenges are and how we can come together to address them, importantly, too. <laughs> so another area I'd like to discuss, I kind of led into it just now in talking about the importance of embedding these considerations by design. I think nowhere more important in terms of getting this right from the start is when we look at design. So I was reflecting a little bit earlier on, kind of looking back over the years, and we were talking earlier, weren't we, about your long-term commitment at IBM, 50 years plus in terms of embedding sustainability considerations and really working to achieve them. And it was TJ Watson Jr., who's second president of IBM, who had said this phrase, good design must serve the people. So very much tech for good embedded right there and I think that resonates even more today so we have to work from design upwards not try and retrofit things so how are you enabling that right now at IBM Christina if I could go to you first on that one sure so um you know it's really interesting I think what we're trying to do within IBM corporate is also take advantage of the technology that we have building off I will say I shared earlier on I joined IBM about a year ago and one of the main reasons why I did going back to the earlier conversation is because of that legacy. I think it's really it's really uncommon to see the commitment that IBM has had and and quite frankly not something that we talk about enough, right? Um that we've been doing for the 50 plus years as you mentioned, right? So we started disclosing voluntarily around our our, our environmental policy and all of that back in the 70s. We started um, talking about our carbon emissions uh, back in 94. And, you know, any other tech company, they are very serious about it now, but it's a pretty relative, it's a relatively recent phenomenon. And I'm so proud, I think, of the legacy that we have and what we can build upon there. So as IBM continues to build upon that, we are also using um, our own products, including Invisi, including Turbonomic, including um, Maximo and Tririca to manage our own footprints. 
right? How do we think about managing and going, you know, we have 21 environmental goals as an example, and we have multiple, you know, impact and equitable goals as well. And how do we make sure that we are leveraging the technology that we are supporting our customers with internally? And it's been quite remarkable, right? We're still on this journey for sure. But, you know, our real estate, we've been able to decrease the footprint that we have. The carbon emissions, we've been able to decrease, I believe, by like 62%. I mean, these are really, really strong statistics based on some of the challenges that we've seen ourselves go through and our, our customers go through and trying to leverage all of that, you know, uh, back and forth to, to have lessons learned. So I think that, you know, from the software side, supporting IBM is our way of stamping and saying, we believe in our own products and we believe we believe it, so we're gonna act on it and then we can help our customers with it as well. And so, you know, that's, I think where we are uh, really proud to be standing behind, you know, some of the products that we have and then supporting our customers in the same way. And to add to what Christina is saying, so in addition to what IBM is doing at the corporate level, even for us at the systems level and at the Linux One level, we, we really pride ourselves uh, that our machines were designed for sustainability. So like we talked about, we talked before, every everything has a sustainability claim to it right now. Our clothes, you know, everybody wants clothes from sustain, made from sustainable uh, cotton. Uh, even the car wash by my house has some sustainability message as well. You know, at, at, in hindsight, it, it's great. We have one planet. We're all in this together. We all have to do our part to save it. But the problem with it is that it can lead to a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of claims of sustainability that that are not really backed by, by actual data. With Linux One, though, we do have actual data and proof points that show that our systems are built with sustainability in mind without, like I said, compromising on scale performance or security. So, for example, uh, based on some of the tests that we have done, when you consolidate Linux workloads on five Linux One Emperor 4 systems, instead of running them on x86 servers, uh, you can reduce your energy consumption by 75% and your space by 50%. These are tests that we have done internally. We have a lot of customer examples that show numbers even better, better than, than those numbers as well. So Linux One does have an optimized architecture that meets the need of all the business out there. And that architecture has sustainability baked from the design, from the from, from the beginning. We have larger caches, we have specialty offset processors on on-chip accelerators, including AI encryption and compression. As you know, the, the latest Linux one has the Telem processor that has encrypted AI in there. It is also designed to run at the highest level of utilizations, which means that you can run a lot more workloads on a lot less hardware. So this, this leads to having less hardware in your data center. You have less hardware to power. You have less hardware to cool. So it, it trickles down to all the things that we are trying to change and to almost like a like a, a badge of honor with for all the work that we have done. Um, in 2022, the Emperor 4 received the 2022 SEAL Sustainable Product Award in December. This is an award that's given to innovative, impactful products that are purpose-built for a sustainable future. And because of everything I listed, because of how we built the next one and why we built the next one, this is why the, the SEAL Award Committee, I guess, felt that uh, Linux One would be a great recipient for that. And, and we want that in December. Can I add one other point, which is, um, you know, I think I mentioned kind of around like the thought leadership and us having a legacy that we do. And, you know, one of the things that Nada said just kind of reminded me 
uh, we want to continue to kind of push the envelope in this way, right? Design as part of both hardware and software and what that means for all of our products going forward. And so actually this is kind of breaking news, but this past week, we actually just launched the tech industry's first position paper on how to design for sustainability. And that was specifically around software, right? But everything from the very beginning, from designing every element of your software product and you know what that requirement is and how to think about dark mode and incorporating dark mode or how to have fewer lines of code, right? I mean, these are like thinking about the design and the engineering pieces of sustainability from the very beginning and how that can affect the usage and what that what kind of like footprints that product has all the way at, at after the fact, right? So I think that's also how we're trying to think about pushing the envelope and encouraging and educating others to kind of join us, right? We want to make sure that all of that is open to everybody so that we're all doing that as part of as part of saving the planet. The I one planet that. that we have is not a set. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And alongside things like Call for Code as well, that's always right. been very embedded in SDG aims. I've, I've yes. been involved in that for a number of years. I absolutely love it. And it really Good. is democratizing access for people to take part. The knowledge sharing, the community, I think right. is the number one key thing around that. The support right. for one another. It's absolutely brilliant. It's fantastic. So let's drill a little bit further into this theme of sustainability by design. I've seen a number of initiatives coming out of IBM. Again, building on that legacy we've been talking about today. There's a lot to cover there. Many different areas. We've got strategy, ESG reporting, supply chain, asset management, and many others. Perhaps we could just share a few top takes about how you're supporting customers here, whether it's continuing their journey or frankly getting started in the first place, which can always be the hardest bit. Perhaps, Christina, if you could share some top takes on that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we share with our customers a lot is you're probably already on your journey. You just don't know about it, right? Everybody wants to optimize their operations and costs and reduce their waste and emissions. This is just good business, right? And everybody's already thinking about how to do that and has been thinking about how to do that for a long time. So most likely they're already on their sustainability journey. They just haven't thought about it with a sustainability wrapper, if you will. What we say is going back to the data piece, like whether or not you are thinking about your reporting, your supply chain, asset management, physical asset management, et cetera, it's all about understanding what your baseline is and where your data is, and then making sense from that and actioning on it, right? So for us, it's don't worry, you're already somewhere on your journey and then get started. Get started, meaning be more deliberate about what you are trying to accomplish. Make sure you have the right data to support what you're trying to understand. And then make sure that you have an integration and an integrated view of that um, for your business so that you know exactly what actions you need to take uh, going forward. I think the most important thing is instead of having these like high level kind of 50,000 foot sustainability or ESG goals, it's really about embedding it in the day-to-day decision-making of the business, right? So how do we make it so that it's very tangible and it's part of the everyday decisions that are made as part of the, the business, the core of the business operations, rather than it being, oh my gosh, I don't know, there's some sustainability goal out there that our CEO articulated and it has nothing to do with me. It absolutely does. It has to do with every single person um, in every single role and function within any enterprise. And so that's um, that's generally the message that we go with as we talk to customers about how to get started or really you have started, how to continue, but really it's about accelerating your sustainability journey to get to where you need to. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you've got some key words that are recurring, aren't they, today? That embedded by design, that baked in yeah. consideration. It's absolutely key. But also that importance of coming together and kind of the open knowledge sharing around this, because this is a collective collective problem um, and we need shared responsibility. I think it's an analogy with security. You know, we, we talk about shared responsibility culture there, don't we? I think it's the same thing, empowering everyone in an organisation. And that takes education, that awareness that everybody, every role has that agency to make a difference. So absolutely, I think that's spot on. And kind of back to that theme, actually in terms of that open knowledge sharing. Another thing that I'm always impressed with, I've got a bit of a research background myself, but is the weight of the research that you're supporting and involved in in this space too. So one study that struck in my mind recently was your one related to IT sustainability that goes beyond the data centre. Lots of topics coming out of there. There's green IT, responsible computing, hybrid cloud and the advances that brings. Perhaps we could share a little bit from that because again, it really kind of drills into what the foundations are, getting those right, baking those in, if you will, to really achieve the outcomes that can scale. Nada, I'd love your take on that one. What this what this article tells me is that really data centers from an energy consumption point of view are a low-hanging fruit. They they consume so much energy already. There's so much customers can do to reduce their energy consumption. But if they want to do the one thing that will cause the biggest impact, then data centers is the way is where where they should start. I was I came across an article the other day where there were it was different ways companies were making their data centers greener. It was they were mostly talking about solar panels and renewable energies and sustainable ways to cool the data center. Obviously, all of those are great ways towards sustainability, but the greenest energy will always be the one that you don't consume. So based on the article, it shows that you know data centers consume about 200 kilowatt hours per year. And Instead of making 200 kilowatt hour per year green, what Linux One is offering is let's reduce that number and then let's make whatever Linux One consumes green. This way, everybody can be a lot more efficient. And we have done this to so many of our customers. There's another customer example. There's a, a large insurance company in Asia Pacific, similar to City. They were experiencing a really big IT growth. Uh, they were they had servers sprawl. They were at the risk of having to uh, design to create another data center. So we started small with them. We started with a small POC where they replaced their 55x86 server into one Linux one. By just doing that, they reduced their energy consumption by 70%. They reduced their software licensing costs by 90% and their data center floor space by 75%. So after seeing the success of the POC, this customer actually ended up rolling out their whole data center into Linux, Linux One. And they are now our biggest Linux One deployment in, since in just three years. They went from a customer who had no Linux Ones at all to, be, to being our biggest Linux One customers out there. So once customers see the value of Linux One and see how it is helping, and like I said, our numbers were 75% and 50%. Our customers are seeing much bigger numbers than that. And this is where we are here to help. Starting with the data center is a great way to start. Reducing the energy consumption as a, as a first step is what needs to be done. Well, again, like I said, obviously making the energy renewable and green is a great step. It's just if we can avoid using that energy in the first place, that would be the greenest step that we can take. Absolutely. It's that embedding by design, in this case, the extent of negating that happening in the first place. I couldn't agree more. We have to go from it from that angle. And also what you said, I would say that shared value business in a sentence, it really is. You're showing there, you know, it's operational efficiency, it's production costs being reduced. It's 
optimization of, of, of worker time and it's reducing consumption and having the benefits for the planet as well. It absolutely is that embodiment of shared value business. Brilliant. And one other area, it's come up naturally, I think, in our conversation day, but it's also power of ecosystem. Now, certainly on a, on a personal note, I see so many good things, positive things to take away from the pandemic, which was you know the art of the possible by coming together. And we've also seen an expansion of that in business, I think, at the moment. You know, things like the IBM Partner Programme, advancing, democratizing access to education and opportunities there as well. Really exciting developments, I think. What's your take on that? I'd love to get a little bit of an overview, Christina, about what you're seeing there in terms of that power of partnership, co-creativity and coming together, really. Yeah, thanks, Sally. I mean, look, we're never going to get to where we need to without all working together, right? It's all about partnership and ecosystem. Um, I remember when we went to, to COP27, it was just incredible, right, to see how increasingly the dialogue is around public-private partnerships, how we need to all come together as a broader ecosystem, how there are, you know, everything from smaller startups focused on one or two small um, small solutions, all the way to, you know, the US government, UK government, et cetera, investing in climate tech and investing in um, equitable tech and justice for tech and all of that. So there's no way that we're gonna be able to get to the areas uh, and accelerate without that ecosystem play. I think increasingly too, IBM is focused in this. You mentioned the IBM Partner Program. I mean, our CEO Arvind, once he came on board a few years ago, he completely reshifted the way that IBM thinks about partners. Right? Think like entities that we had considered as competitors previously are no longer competitors. I mean, of course, we are all looking for market share and revenue and all of that, but we have much more power and scalability and impact going at it together. So we work very closely with the Microsofts, the Amazons, you know, I mean, these are, these are core partners of ours where we can make a lot more impact together than we can alone. As we talk about sustainability and ESG, it has to be that way, right? So we work um, in sustainability software very closely with service partners like the EYs, the Deloitte's, the Accentures, et cetera, right? We, we work very closely with them to make sure that we have joint solutions that can, again, accelerate and exponentially add value to our customers. We have technology partners, Adobe and Siemens and, you know, all these technology partners that we also work very closely to allow for scalability and embedding of different technology pieces together to make the most value for our customers, right? At the end of the day, people don't care really, is it the IBM product, a Google product, this or that? They want a solution that helps them with their problem. And so how can we better uh, solve our customers' pain points and what's needed as we think about sustainability going forward in a way where we can bring all these partners together and accelerate that journey? And that's really what it's all about, right? We need to get, we need to, get to certain goals together um, and we need to be able to solution that together. So this co-creation process and all of that, I mean, these are all things that we do actively uh, with our consulting colleagues, with our hardware and our software and our clients and our partners kind of all together um, as needed because otherwise uh, otherwise, we're only kind of seeing one piece of the puzzle and we need to be thinking bigger and broader. Absolutely. I have this phrase about age of convergence, which I, what I think we're living in at the moment. And yeah, I know that from multiple lenses, you know, we've got the technology convergence. We've seen so many examples of that today where different yes. technologies are coming together and we've got the right things supporting it, whether it's cloud or computing power, et cetera. It's enabling this change. But it's also convergence in other areas. As you were saying there, it's around relationships and reframing them about how you can come together to solve problems, even around measurement as well. One of the biggest challenges, I think, around SDG measurement is not being holistic enough. So around a mission 
conditions, for example, is it scope one to three? Is it internal and external? Are you bringing all of that together? It gets complicated. So I think your points there are spot on. And I'm going to go back to my little theme about shared value as well. The other thing I think is really interesting, kind of tying around some of our themes today, is organizations that do that, like your good selves, you're, get, you're getting that shared value impact in so many ways in terms of reward too. Again, you mentioned Accenture. They had a recent study out looking at kind of how companies perform who are tangibly investing in, measuring, being transparent, committed and accountable about ESG. And it's showing there's a financial outperformance of their peers. It really is. It's around 2.6 times more value. So it really brings to the fore, this is the path to sustainable, scalable business that benefits business and society. Christina, what's your kind of final take on that? Yeah, look, I mean, whether or not you believe in ESG or sustainability or what, at the end of the day, if you just believe that there's risk to your business, which every business has, and you want to mitigate that risk, you need to be thinking about this, right? This idea of shared value, right? It may be something that certain folks may have, uh, I would say, some aversion to because they're thinking, no, you know, it's all about the, the shareholders. It's all about creating more revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Well, increasingly, the shareholders and actual growth for the company is very closely interlinked, if not completely intertwined with how you are as a corporate citizen and how you are actually managing your business. We go back to examples like supply chain traceable and transparent. Is it allowing for us to understand exactly how we're getting the products that we need to? Are you are you helping to build civil infrastructure in a way that's decreasing human risk, right? Again, these are all things that we need to make sure that we're thinking about more holistically. Going back to our previous point, Sally, it's not just about, I need to sell one more pen and therefore make X dollars more, right? It's about how is that pen made? How do we make sure that we're transparent about that? Who are we actually including as part of that value chain as part of the partner ecosystem, et cetera. And these are all things that we need to think about from a growth perspective, a valuation perspective, and a risk perspective. And increasingly, you see, you mentioned the stat from from Accenture, and that's not the only statistic out there, right? I mean, Harvard Business School is doing loads of studies about how, you know, there's a professor, George Therafem, who does many studies about this. And it's very clear that increasingly, the stock prices of public companies that are thinking about this and integrating more into their business is rising at a faster rate. That startups that are focused on solving these type of problems are being sold for and evaluated at much higher rates. These are things that are very tangible and that I think prove the value of thinking about both business and society, if you will, right? You cannot decouple what's happening anymore. And it's no longer a nice to have, it's a must have as you think about the next iteration and future generations of our business. Absolutely. And in terms of sharing this knowledge even further, some of these reports um, and studies that we've mentioned today, both the IBM ones and some of the external ones we've mentioned as well, we'll share all of those. You maybe think of another one, Refinitiv. I think about 12,500 companies, they've done a comparison around exactly on that area as well, looking at that shared value impact and really drilling into that and opening up that data too. So there's a lot that really is backing up. This isn't just an imperative for society, it's an imperative for business too. And bringing that together, that is the future of shared value. Christina, thank you so much for joining me nada thank you so much for joining me as well it's been a fantastic conversation it's one we need to come back to clearly we were going to run out of time yes thank you so much for having me thank you very very much thanks for listening to this episode of tomorrow's tech today if you enjoy what we're doing please subscribe to us and leave a review it really means a lot You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.